welcome to the Castorian Podcast. I'm Kevin McDonough, the founder of Castorian. In this episode, I'm speaking to artist Victoria Cantons. Victoria's exhibition, Champagne Tastes on Beer Money, is now available on Castorian. Their exhibition was one of 13 shown as a collaboration between Guts Gallery and Soft Punk during the final weeks of 2020. You can follow along and see what we see by visiting any of these 3D captures via the links in the show notes. Now, let's hear our chat. Hello, Victoria. How are you? Hello, Kevin. No, I'm good, thanks. Yeah. It's been a little while since we last spoke. We, we last spoke in um, the end of last year, is that right? Um, yes, yes, last December. Last December. And that was, your exhibition was, I think you were on the tail end. You were like on the 12th week or the 13th week? I was. the. I think I was the penultimate show. And have you been busy since then? Yes, I have been continuing to work in the studio. Um, I've been involved in other shows and I have returned back to university, back to Slade, uh, because at the time of Champagne Taste on Beer Money at Guts Gallery, I was an interrupted student. So because of the pandemic, I'd stopped for a year. And so my year of interruption finished at the beginning of March. And I am now back for one more term and then I graduate. I fi- well, I finished the course. Great, great. Correct me if I'm wrong. You strike me as a, an educationaholic because you've been, you've been, doing, a, you've been doing a lot of, a, a lot of education at Slade for, for a while. You've been at Slade. You've been at Wimbledon College of Arts. You, you did the Terps Art School as well. And uh, you're back at Slade. Like, has, uh, has it been something of a... Uh, a ride to what what's made you pursue education in painting so doggedly <laughs> before i went to art school i was um i was renting a studio and just painting and and teaching myself you know i uh, because i was in a rented studio i was in a community so i made friends in the community i learned from them i went to galleries i went to shows and learned from that. I read books. I watched documentaries, videos, and 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 I and I made work myself. And that's how that's how I was learning. And um, the reality was, I always wanted to do art school. I mean, I, I I discovered that there was a place called an art school uh, when I was a teenager. I used to read the um, the music the music magazines. Uh, NME, Melody Maker, which were prominent at that point in my teens, uh, weekly weekly papers about the local music scene. And I remember one day reading about a band and, uh, and it said they all met at art school. And I was like, there's a place called an art school. <laughs> That's where I want to go. Um, and my parents were completely unsupportive of that. So um, uh, my dad wanted me to go to university, study a proper academic thing, get a, get a proper job that would put a roof over my head and give me a living, you know, at least a living wage, if not something better. What did you study? Well, I didn't because they weren't supportive of me going to art school. Oh. I said, well, I'm not going to go to school at all then. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, fi- I finished secondary school. Uh, and just went out and got a job instead, 
uh, just oh, because great. I wanted to annoy annoy my parents great. or annoy my great. dad anyway. The whole life experience I've had has made me the person I am. Oh but, yeah, definitely. Um, and and you know I I can I ha- the the experiences I have um, have shaped me have have given me the ability to respond to life in the way I respond to life today. But that said, was that the cleverest thing at the time to do? Perhaps not. You know, it's kind of like shooting yourself in the foot or cutting your nose off to spite your face to, to just, just to give the finger to someone else. And so I went out and I became a hairdresser because I, I, didn't, have, I didn't have the courage to challenge my parents on, on what they did not support me to do, like go to art school which is what I really should have done. But in turn, I thought, hey, hairdressing is the fashion industry. I like the fashion industry. Um, it's creative. So I get to do something that is arty uh, and make things or do things. So cutting hair. And, um, and so I'll do that. Uh, and, and it gives me a lot of flexibility. And, and I did have a lot of flexibility as a hairdresser. I joined bands because I was really into the music scene. I went to drama school, which funnily enough, my parents didn't support me going to art school. They didn't support me going to drama school, but after they said no to one thing, I was not going to allow them to say no to a second. So I was making money from hairdressing. So that, that, pay, that I had income to pay for me to go to so that I could pay my way through drama school. Uh, and so I did, I did drama school for a couple of years. I ended up doing a lot of theatre um, as a in bands. I sang, I wrote songs, we did gigs, I performed, and uh, we did gigs all over the place. We had a really good thing going uh, for a time. Um, what was the name and, of your band? Uh, there was a couple of bands. So one, uh, the first band, which was early nineties, when I was it, when I was in my early twenties, was um, Agent Orange. And um, and that was kind of I mean, it, we were writing our own songs, uh, but we were kind of in, very heavily influenced by the likes of um, of um, the Doors, Talking Heads, uh, Pink Floyd, um, Neil, Neil Young, uh, Steely Dan. Um, you know, there were two guitarists, bass drums and myself on. On the, on the microphone and, 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 and writing, writing the lyrics. So those were the type of things that, I mean, they were musically influenced by those bands. I was in turn influenced by those bands, but from a, from a kind of song structure, lyrical point of view. And, um, and then when that, when that band fell apart after a couple of years, um, I, I um, looked in the, in the classifieds of like Melody Maker and NME and found another band looking for a singer and joined that band, which, and that band was kind of really very similar setup and we functioned very much in the same way. That band ended up going by the name of Squirm, uh, which uh, one of the guitarists came up with. And, um, and again, we went for a time um, uh, until until we went our separate ways, this uh, because this we wanted different London. things. This was all in London. So by this point, it's like ninety-seven. Uh, I'm t- I'm about twenty-eight. Um, 
uh, I've given up on doing the theatre because I'm so focused on the music. <laughs> and, and quite frankly, doing um, doing fringe theatre was getting in the way of gigs uh, because, they, you know, I, c I couldn't do a gig or do rehearsals with the band if I'm doing theatre rehearsals and then and then performing a play for like a, uh, two, three weeks in a in a in a in a, in a kind of like fringe theatre production. Um, so I'd given up, <laughs> given up on the acting, which I did really like, I did really enjoy to do the band, which I was really, really mega into anyway. Wow. Uh, and you know, they're, 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 it's, a, it's a massive, massive, uh, thrill to, it's, it's a thrill to be on stage as an actor, um, performing, but to be on stage, performing your own songs, your own work. I, I've done a, I've done a lot, a lot of things, but <laughs> that's a high that is practically unmatched. Um, unfortunately, I do not have a singing voice anymore. When I transitioned, um, I elected to accept an offer of vocal surgery, and um, which. Um, and the vocal surgery for trans women is a surgery where they stretch the vocal cords um, almost a bit like a violin string or guitar mm. string. They mm. pull it. And, um, and in, in that hope, the pitch of the voice is hoped to be raised. And um, but it's a it's a very unpredictable procedure. There's no guarantees. The pitch of my voice has gone up, but um, I cannot hold a note anymore in terms wow. of singing. Um, my my voice just crackles. I sound like um like like a frog with a with a very bad throat. Your voice is in your voice is in your work, and your voice hangs on people's walls around the world. And your voice yeah, is but in I I so enjoyed creating songs and music with other people that collaborative process and and you know and it's not even about like performing on a stage as a band even in a rehearsal situation when you're just in a room together you know people playing their instruments people creating you contributing with your voice yeah um, um you know that that is a pleasure that um I do not know anymore. And that, that is a sadness. To try and tell a long story short, I'm going to go to painting because painting, I'm not relying on a band where I can be, if, you know, if things don't work out in the band, then I end up being in a problem situation because the band stops functioning. Um, now I'll do painting where the only one I rely on is myself. Either I make it work or I don't make it work, but I can't blame anyone else for it not working. Um, so I started, I, I, yeah, I started painting. I was um, 33 when I, when I did, when I, when that, when that began. Does it feel uh, like a long so time it was, ago? It was, it was a couple, it was a couple of years later, but, um, uh, but yeah, no, it would, yeah, it <laughs> considering I'm 51, yeah, it was a long time ago. And, and then I just rented a studio uh, and just worked in there for a time and, ma and made works that way.
great. Um, and um, le- learning, learning by myself. And it, wa- it wasn't until much later, after I'd been through a marriage and a divorce, after I'd been through transition, after my, both my parents had died as well. Um, my father died of a heart attack unexpectedly. Um, and that, that, was, that was the first step in starting painting, um, actually, because that happened when I was 32. And, um, and then my mother died um, in 2017 from Alzheimer's. And I'd been her primary carer up to that point anyway, after she died and the divorce had, the divorce had happened as well. Um, I thought, okay, I've got no dependents at this point. So I'm actually going to do some, and also my parents have gone, so they're not saying no to me any longer. I'm not having to fight against their, their negative support because, uh, because I'm no longer married. I have no one dependent on me that I have to support or, or take care of, just me. So now I'm going to do art school. This is a, this is a journey that's uniquely yours. You're on it alone. There's no one around you that's, that's, that hasn't any uh, input on this. It's your journey. And it, it, took, you, it took you a long time to, to get here, but what you brought with you was very different than you would have brought otherwise. And so it, it's, it's great that it's, uh, that, it, that it's ended up with like this in some ways because your voice is unique and, you're, and, what you, and what you create is unique. And that is a gift to give to people in the art, in, in the art world. It's a gift. And, and uh, it's, it's great to be able to talk this over with you. You're very, you've already touched on it. You're, you're, quite, you're very open about, your, uh, about transgender awareness. You're open about your place in the trans community, and you're. Can you speak about how the uh, your trans identity features in your practice? It's always been there, uh, but it's only more recently that it's become a lot more um, visible and prominent. I think. I think how it was before was more okay. Uh, you know, um, it, initially, um, I think the, the works I was making in um, 2003, 4, 5, 6, 7, the, um, what I call the volcano paintings and the atomic bomb paintings, Mm-hmm. of the early 2000s when I first got that studio. I think they're very reflective of the mental state I was in and the and the turmoil I was going through pre-legal public transition. You know, I, I, was, li- I was living a dual life. So I had situations in terms of like working or, or social situations where I was presenting as male and I was being understood to be a male. That's how the people were interacting with me. And I had other situations, a whole social circle, friendship circle, um, and a nightlife, a more private life, less public life, so to speak, which um, where I presented as, as female and they understood me to be Victoria. 
some members in the group did overlap between both situations. But on the whole, they were kind of separate. It was affecting me mentally. And and I think the, the way it came out most was in the paintings I was making. It wasn't until I got closer to transition when I was kind of on, I suppose, when, when everything was kind of reaching a climax in terms of how I could could cope with life, that the work started to reflect very overtly the uh, my my transgender state. I did a number of self-portraits which highlight my pre-transition state. Torn Curtain, for example, is one of them. There, there's a few other pieces which show which show fully nude transsexual pre-op figures. And how, and how do you feel? Do you feel your education really spurned you off on that journey faster? Or did it affect how you looked at yourself? Did it help? I think so. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so then I transition and, and I suppose with transition, of course, comes it, it's transition is both a, a public experience because there, it's a, there's a social transition as, as, a, as, a, as a trans person. You know, there's there's the one where you where you change your name by deed poll, you change your passport, your driving license, your bank accounts, and and you present in the world as the person you are, and you yeah. say to the world, "This is me," and you know, uh, love me or hate me. Hopefully, you love me. Uh, and then there's the medical transition where you go and see a doctor and you are prescribed drugs, and and those have an effect on you changing of musculature the changing of skin the um the how the chest changes and so on so that that's all very visible dramatic physical changes i also believe and this is very little talked about in in my in my to my knowledge um adjusting the the hormone levels within the body from predominantly testosterone to predominantly um, estrogen, in my case, um, does also affect one psychologically, mentally, emotionally. Testosterone does very does something very different to your brain function than estrogen does. And the same thing happens for a trans man as well. You know, when when a trans man starts taking testosterone, his physicality is going to change. But also, he was he was dominated by estrogen before. Now he's dominated by testosterone. His character and personality, because of because the the washes of the hormone on the brain is affecting that. That's going to change too. And, and and so all these changes started materializing and and showing themselves in the paintings I was making. The art shifted. The art changed. You're about to hear Victoria and I discussing their exhibition Champagne Tastes on Beer Money. This exhibition was captured by Custodian in 3D and you can see it via the link in the show notes. So please follow along with us. Okay, and you can see here we're back that is so cool. in the archway. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about what was the journey leading up to setting up this show, Champagne Tastes on Beer Money? Um, so, uh, um, I suppose 
this show coming at the end of 2020. It, I mean, it was a culmination of a lot of things happening. Um, it's, it's, um, it's practically the end of my master's, practically the end of my art education, albeit the one term I'm doing now. Um, but also, um, we had been six months of lockdowns, um, which, uh, and, and a number of these pieces, the flower works on the, on the right of the screen were all made, uh, during lockdown. Um, the, um, the chair painting, uh, titled Nothing Breaks Like a Heart, um, that was painted around, um, December 2019, and the, what I call the cloth heads, which are on the left of the screen, um, uh, were, were painted in, um, the kind of like January, February of 2020, before the lockdown happened, before we were, we were struck by the pandemic, um, so and then and then the pandemic happened and then i went on to an overdrive of making other things happen for myself um so i um i looked to commercial galleries to host um showcases of myself and my classmates because our degree show had been cancelled um at uni and I had elected to interrupt for a year because the because of the cancellation of the show, and I thought I'll come I'll come back in a year's time. Hopefully things will be better. Um, but in the meantime, I tried to organise showcases, which I did. And the, that showcase, which happened um, in London Bridge at a gallery called Kristen Yellowgard, um, that in turn led to a um, the massive. London graduate school showcase that was London grads now at Saatchi, which was phenomenal. It was great. I enjoyed it. I'm very proud of having been a part of that. Uh, and, and then, and then of course, Ellie at Guts, founder and director of the of Guts Gallery. She of course is on her own journey of get of giving artists a platform in in the challenging times that were. 2020 pandemic and so she started putting on shows and um ellie and i had already conversed before um so we were on each other's radar and then she included me in the in the first group show she did and then she in turn got hold of this show space i want to contrast like going into this exhibition from all your other work because, like, most noticeably recently, you've been doing, um, or at least I, from what I can see, there's an awful lot of portraiture. There's a lot of, a lot of figurative work, a lot of naked figures. Um, it's, and it's not as abstract at all as what you've been Not the at the moment, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I'm not sharing, I'm not sharing on social media okay, at the moment. Okay. But I, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the studio every single day working. As you enter into the space, the largest work on the main wall features a chair floating in a Turneresque mist of blue. Finishing off this canvas is a complimentary striking orange along the bottom. 
This part's called Nothing Breaks Like a Heart. But maybe you can help me and the audience who might have seen some of your work um, orientate where like this first work comes from where and tell me, uh, give me a sense of what we're looking at. Uh, this, this piece is called Nothing Breaks Like a Heart. So, um, so, so this painting um, comes on the, is at the tail end of a run of um, what I call furniture paintings. Um, I, 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 I work in different series uh, and, and, you know, and uh, they are, I suppose they they are very emotionally led works. They are very conceptual, um, very um, question led and confessional. So, you know, I, I have an idea, I have a feeling about something and it's like, how do I deal with that? How do I make sense of it? Um, uh, I start painting. I start drawing, I start painting um, to try and make sense of my life, to try and make sense of the world around me, uh, to try and make sense of how I fit, how I interact. What had transpired was um, a number of furniture paintings. I've been painting furniture for a while, actually. Um, I'm very interested in how um, we, I suppose, you know, it's it's a major part in my life. It's a major part in all our lives. Um, we it, it's it's a furniture is a tool that we all use on a daily basis, um, uh, and um, and very significant things can occur on furniture or around furniture, um, especially the chair or the seated space. So um, I've painted a number of sofas. I've painted stools um, as well. And um, and in the in the case of this chair, it's kind of very reminiscent of the chair that was in our kitchen at home growing growing up um, in its shape and form. And it also had it it looks very functional. It's not like one of these super decorated armchairs that are pride of place in a in a living room um it's more of a practical functional chair it's the type of chair that you could play um musical chairs with very <laughs> it's a easily good musical chair chair <laughs> yeah exactly it's a good musical chair chair and um and funnily enough i have sketches in my in in, in my sketchbook where i've drawn this chair toppled over on the floor as well. I, I'm very interested also in, in colour and how colour affects us emotionally, affects me, you know, how I respond to colour. So, you know, blue is a very sombre colour. Um, of course, we use it to describe emotional state, to feel blue. Um, green has all sorts of associations of, um, of new life, of, um, of rebirth of spring. This chair almost seems to be floating in this work where it's like, there, there seems to be like a, like an almost Turner-esque tempest storm behind the chair, but the chair is, is, is floating in isolation 
where it's got this uh, suspended feel, where uh, this the chair, which is like in Hockney-esque colours, kind of is suspended within the eye of a storm. And I like that. Funnily enough, um, if I remember correctly, and I would have to, ex- I would have to um, examine the painting, which happens to be over there. I can look at it from where I'm sitting. It's in the corner of the studio uh, before it gets um, wrapped up to leave the studio. The background is painted up to the edges of the chair. Um, so much like uh, Matisse, technique Matisse employed in the Red Studio painting he did, fabulous piece, um, where the, um, the background is painted up to the edges of forms to, to define the, the shape and form of, of, the, of, the, of the things within the painting. Um, and, and this one is painted in a similar way. So the, it's not a case of painting the background and then painting the chair on top of the background. It's rather the other way around. The chair actually came first. And this work is slightly different from some of your works in the way that it's, to me, it's to me different how it's um, framed. You've got this off framing of the chair, as you say, like uh, it's, it's maybe the chair came first, but the, the, the chair is a focal element of this. And this, this kind of, these, these bright colors standing out. But then along the rim of this, of, of this uh, painting, you've got this orange, um, this orange, uh, these kind of gathering, uh, which like, it's not like drips, it's like a gathering from, from the bottom that frames it. And so this work almost is quite um it's well placed it's like it, it's 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 more sculptural than a lot of your figurative work um why why does this work stand out so differently i wanted the chair to be like a physical thing a thing that you feel that you could sit in you know um i, I think i, I I've, I've talked about this before with others but um but the the individual the person is I think very central to to the work I make, so um, so that even if even if the painting doesn't actually have a figure depicted in it, a figure is there by by association, by implementation, by invitation, uh, by the, the you know the audience becomes the figure in the work. Do you put yourself in the chair, or do you put other people in the chair? Well, either, because if I'm standing in front of the painting that has put me in the chair, um, you know, I'm, I'm the one that's sitting in it. If it's other people, then they can sit in it. If it's, other, if it's a different audience, it's, it's an invitation to, to the audience to sit in it, whoever that audience is, um, or, to, or to stand around it, or to be beside it, or to considering that, that, that central leg or that... that that leg that is effectively in the center of the canvas, uh, because the chair is, as you pointed out, off center. I mean, you've, you've got a, a real variety within this exhibition. You have the big works, um, the big chair works. There's another chair there just poking in on the right of the ah, screen. Yeah, there is as well. Let's go over here. Turning away from the biggest canvas, back towards the door which you entered into the exhibition, on the left, 
of the door is a, is a canvas that hints at the edge of a chair in red. This piece is called If We Could Only Kiss The Way We Used To. If We Could Only Kiss The Way We Used To. How does, it, does this relate? Was this painted at the same time as the other chair? It was. It was painted as a... It was painted immediately following Nothing Breaks Like a Heart. So it employs the same chair. What very often happens in my large and small canvases is that um, is that the big canvases will show the entirety of the subject and the small canvas is like a crop of the subject. It's kind of like uh, when, um, when I take a photograph with the camera and I'm a very keen photographer and I've been photographing I've, I, I've had a, a, um, an SLR camera since I was a 10-year-old. Right. Uh, you know, I used to develop my own film, print my own photographs, be in the camera club, always carry a camera. So are you almost, are you almost negotiating? You have one which is like your, your painterly mind, and then you do an, a smaller crop which you take... You come from another angle, with, almost with a photographer's eye. So, yeah, so if you're in the dark room, um, you are either, I mean, you've got your, I mean, that, of course, now with, with, with digital cameras, we're using Lightroom, for example, or Photoshop. And think of the crop tool on Photoshop. So you've got your, your, your full-size print, which is the whole, the whole image, and then your crop, which just takes you down to a bit. So very often what my small canvases are, are, are like a full-size image cropped. And they may be a crop of a full-size painting I've made, reinvented, or just simply um, looked at again to see what, what happens next if I crop it down and make a new painting that way. Because it's a, it's a whole new image. It's not just simply a crop of the previous no. image. It's a yeah, new work, new work. Um, with, it, with, it, with, it, with a whole new thinking around it, new questions, new, new discussion, new conversations, new debate, and, and, and new, new problems mm -hmm. as well, and new answers. Bringing myself to, the, to this work and how I interpret it, I um, come from a design background where there's a design rule where uh, I think it's called the, the rule of faces, where the, the further out you zoom, the more you um, sexualize a, a character. <clears throat> and uh, the, the, the more you what a character? Did you say sexualize? sexualize. And the, the more that you zoom in. The, okay. Uh, so if you, like, for instance, like your LinkedIn photo, it makes you look smarter if you have just like your face in view. And if you bring heads and shoulders or your whole torso, the more that you bring, you, the, the more that you bring your body into it, the more you sexualize your position in the viewer's eyes. And almost, I feel there's an effect happening here with the, with the, the, the faces rule, uh, where you're, 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 the, the, the contemplation of the chair happens more directly and the beam, one, two beams of the chair we're looking at here joining and the rest of the chair. And it's brought into a different consideration by, by cropping it and, and, and being close to it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, a, it's, it's, 
it, you know when 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 I make a when I make a small painting, I find that the the focus and the chain the focus and the conversation changes completely. So considering the door that you came into the exhibition through, well, you're in 3D, you didn't come through, but you know, you know what I mean, the door. There's a door there, and with your back to the door, on the right-hand side is a row of floral canvases, um, which we're just about to discuss. Let's go back to your, let's go back to your um, floral works. Now, for me, this is a big departure. <laughs> from some of the uh, the other works which I've seen that you've produced in, around about the same time. Can you tell me how you got to a series of paintings with florals? Um, so, <laughs> the, 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 the flowers. Um, the flower, the very first flower um, that I, I put in a painting goes back to... 2016 and at that point it was very much kind of art history uh art history education influenced reference um you know thinking about how the um flower uh what it symbolizes in in like uh dutch master paintings uh the gold the the dutch golden age and still lives um, what different coloured roses, for example, symbolise, uh, whether it's the white or the yellow or the red, uh, and, and kind of using it in that way in the painting. And then um, fast forward to 2018-19, um, and prior to that, I think there'd only been uh, two instances of flowers in my paintings. Uh, just within the overall big cop with a big big canvas big composition and a flower as one of the symbols within it you know that, that was it wasn't the prime focus of the painting um but then um now in 2018-19 i'm dealing with my uh my mother has just died uh i'm dealing with the, the loss of her thinking about and reflecting on that and, and, and that period um, of like my of seeing my mother deteriorate over a about six, seven year period with Alzheimer's and remembering the woman that she was, the woman that raised me. And one and one of the things about my mother was that um, she was a keen gardener, but um, but she hated cut flowers. Um, and in fact, when, uh, for example, friends of hers, uh, like came round and gave her flowers, cut, uh, like a bunch of flowers, um, to put in a vase in the house, um, on, she gave the bunch back to them when they left to take away because she did not want it in the house. Even when I said to her, mum, you can't do that. That's really rude. On a couple of occasions, I saw her do that. But, uh, but she, that's what she did. And so I was remembering this and then I started thinking about how we use, how we use flowers in different ways. They're, they're so predominant in, in society and it doesn't matter which society it is. It doesn't matter your nationality, your creed, your belief, 
your your gender. You know, um, none of those things matter. We give flowers to say congratulations. Um, we give flowers to as a as a form of celebration. We give flowers to say I love you. We give flowers to say um, get well soon. Uh, we give flowers to say I'm sorry. It's all the we give we we use flowers all the way from birth, where we give flowers to the mother to say congratulations on having a baby, to all the way to death. Yeah. So so the, there's a lot of emotion in in what are aesthetically just quite picturesque work. If you don't give it water, it lasts a matter of days, and even if with even in a vase with water, doesn't last particularly long. Fleeting, like the emotions that it shares. Lovely. You know, one moment we're giving a bunch of flowers saying I love you. Next moment we're having an argument about who pays for the restaurant bill. <laughs> and this was the person you were giving flowers to and saying I love you. You're the greatest thing in the universe. I am all yours. Be mine. Okay. So have your back to the entrance. And then to the left are a satisfying complement of three bright artworks. Green, pink, blue. To me, these kind of strike me as a cross between that tool the artists use for leaning on the canvas. I think it's called a mal. It's called a mal, big stick. And uh, a kind of otherwise terrifying hooded horror character. But just, just not horrifying in this case. Well, on the other side of the room, uh, across from the flowers, staring at the flowers, are these like what you called masked pieces? Um, what I actually yeah, I have different names for what them. What I actually I have different names for I, them. I saw when I was looking at these pieces, I was thinking of um, you know, there's like some people paint and they lean on something when they're painting, like a, it's a little ball with a with <laughs> yeah. I just you're so bloody right. <laughs> I, I, I <laughs> spot the difference separated at birth. <laughs> that is fantastic. I kind of, oh my I kind goodness. of saw those and I thought maybe it was like you're thinking of thinking uh, through on your painting. And I thought it was a really clever way of like speaking about math because in your other conversations, I read about you speaking about um, the, the need of using maths as camouflage and protection. And how, like, the, 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 in the exploration of your, your identity, self-representation, and maybe you're not doing it, like, like consciously, or maybe, you, like, maybe this is just what it's coming across, but I thought it was a really clever way uh, to speak about both your painting, your practice, and, your, and this um, idea of camouflage as protection. Um, what, what, are, what are your thoughts on these pieces? These pieces called uh, Don't Be Frightened, You Don't Know, and... Uh, don't have a negative thought. Well, yeah, I mean, they don't have a negative thought, be positive, which was the very first one I painted. Uh -huh. Then, uh, they, and they are actually hung in order that they've been painted. So the the middle one, uh, which its full title is... Um, don't be frightened, you don't know. Don't be frightened, you don't know what's coming, but don't be frightened of knowing. Ah. And then the um, this one on the far right... Its title is, don't be too scared to open your eyes, but don't be too scared to close them. These were painted prior to the pandemic happening. Mm -hmm. um, so um, they are, they're, they're not 
essentially pandemic related paintings uh, in any way, shape or form. However, they do speak to the interesting times we're living in, I think. But where they came from was that I'd been pa- I'd painted a lot of figures with masks for a lot for a long time, uh, thinking about the mask that I that I have worn myself uh, as a, as a trans woman, the mask that we wear in general, the the mask that we wear to present to the world, the 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 the, the different faces we wear, the the mask that we wear as camouflage, as protection the mask that we wear as presentation because that's who we want to be seen as rather than um something else um and and the the the, the and the mask paintings uh that i had been doing prior to these eventually became paintings that included in them medieval helmets um which you may have seen online yeah yeah i saw them yeah uh, there's quite a number of those and the medieval helmet, I suppose, for me, pre- became a stronger understanding, actualization of of this armor that we wear, uh, we the defense, the 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 that 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 we that we generate for ourselves. How clever it might be! There's one piece I painted uh, with a helmet in it, in um, which is called "I will let you go if you can find." If you can let somebody else love you like I do, which is a very weird title, actually, as it happens now that I recite it. Um, but but nonetheless, I um, I suppose when I was painting that one, I was thinking about and I, and I actually on the medieval helmet on that in that particular painting, I have I have inscribed a label in the helmet, Acme, you know, almost like the old Acme cartoons yeah, yeah. like um the Roadrunner and Coyote, where he's always Acme, Acme um, The Fable Corporation, which the... sold everything and did everything. But nothing works. Yeah. <laughs> and this helmet doesn't work. You put this helmet on thinking, it's going to protect me. It's going to be my salvation. Uh, because, um, because now I'm safe. I've got my armor. And actually, what you do is cut yourself off. What you do is generating this armor for yourself. You don't just protect yourself from the thing that is hurting you. You protect yours. You also create a barrier between all the good things yeah. too. Super stupid. But it looks great. <laughs> it's super dumb. It looks great. They, like they're very and, colorful. And so I was painting these helmets uh, in paintings, and that was, and that's what the helmets meant for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how was I using them? So there are also paintings where the helmets are discarded very often and exploring ideas of what if I, if I can shed the armor? What if I can do exactly the same thing that I've done with the mask that I was wearing as a trans woman? What if I can shed that? Sorry, talking about these things gets me very emotional. It's stupid, really. It's but anyway. great. It's great. Um, like, it shows how so, much... So the, the, the cloth heads, or soft armour paintings, as I call them, I went from this heavy metal armour to, to then thinking about, well, you know, if heavy metal armour is not clever, what about fabric? These figures are like ostriches. 
an ostrich put its head in the sand and it's like kind of if I put my head in the sand it's like I'm safe the danger isn't going to come but as the title suggests you know they um it's still not smart and at the same time parallel to all of that the other thing that I that I'm doing with them is exploring what can I do with a painting what can paint do what am I capable of doing with a painting okay again facing the door that you come through the or you would come through the entrance to the right hand side of that door there are two um, kind of intimate little works which I evoke questions on fertility and sexuality we're going to discuss just now final two works I'd like to like speak about on this wall the it's really difficult to match them with the rest of the of, of the exhibition as an observer where i come from uh in the, this exhibition like where i come to these it's hard to place them apart from the, the palette the palette's familiar especially in the port the, the the figurative work um maybe we could talk about how these um i i think sensing like Speaking about like the, your other themes, I, I can get a, a flavor of where this first one, uh, the one thing worth walking through flames for, uh, might might land. But perhaps you could give me a few impressions of uh, this one before we go to the the kind of German titled one. <laughs> uh, so this was actually painted um, last year. Um, in the late summer, early autumn, during the pandemic. And um, I suppose I've been looking uh, at a lot of... Um, I, was, I was looking again at the... Because the, pand because the first lockdown had ended, one of the galleries I went to a few times after the lockdown ended was the National Gallery. Uh, it's one of my favourite places in London, so revisiting that again in the collection there, and if you, and looking at the, um, the 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 14th, 15th, 16th century galleries, um, there's you know all, there's a lot of religious work, of course, from that period, and and so um, in part, this painting is uh, first of all. Um, a reflection on icon paintings, uh, icon painting composition of the, in terms of icons, you know, very often they are, uh, they, um, they have um, the, the Madonna, uh, Mary, uh, with, the, with, the, with, the, with the infant Jesus. Uh, I was raised Catholic myself anyway. Uh, my father was Jewish. I have a very mixed cultural heritage in terms of my upbringing having grown up with religious imagery because i went to church every sunday as a, as a, right up until my 20s um before i started exploring kind of spirituality outside of the catholic church so this is very strongly rooted in 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 religious imagery in terms of its composition but then um you know as a trans woman I will never know what it is to be a mother that's had a baby of her own. You know, uh, uh, when I was married, I was a step parent 
I was perceived to be a stepfather because I was married before transition. I became a stepmother, but then I was perceived more as a stepparent than a stepmother. There was uh, lots of issues that led to the divorce, but that's another thing. Uh, you know, as a, as a stepparent, the experience was a joyous one. Uh, but um, but as as a as a trans woman, it wasn't. I I wasn't able to to sire to father children pre pre transition. Uh, it, it was it. I wasn't physically able to do that. Having transitioned, it, even with every, with all the interventions, medical interventions that have happened for me as a as as a trans woman, I can I cannot be I cannot be pregnant. But we but in society. We hold a um, we have a, we have a we hold a tremendously high place for women and children in a um, emergency situation. You know, it's always like women and children first, mm-hmm. mothers and children first. We in 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 conflict situations, we we aim to try and protect the the women, the mothers, the children. They are the priority. And yet they suffer enormously if you look at the conflicts that are going on around the world. Thank you, Victoria. This has been a wonderful, a wonderful, a very privileged view on uh, your, your, your practice and this exhibition. You really opened up your, your heart and your work. So thank you very much. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this conversation. Thank you for your questions. It's been really wonderful to for me to kind of unpick in this way. This is a wonderful experience for me too. Great. I I really, really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Victoria Canton's show, Champagne Tastes on Beer Money, is now available to explore in Castorian. You can expect a new Art Adventures episode every two weeks discussing all Castorian's exhibitions. So please subscribe to hear more experiences from artists, collectors, and curators. If you like what you heard or you have a chance to, had a chance to see any of these exhibitions online, please let me know. Um, on all the usual social channels. Thank you to artist Victoria Cantons for speaking with me. Thanks also to Guts Gallery and Softpunk for commissioning these exhibitions. Thanks to Apricot Audio for producing this episode. I hope you'll visit with Castorian again soon. Thank you.